0: Morning, Miles City. We are glad you are here. Are you glad to be at church today? Awesome. Uh, when I was a student, first of all, that first song takes me back to when I was younger. I was in my 20s. Uh, David Crowder was my jam. I'm waiting for POD songs to hit us next. So, um, but when I was a student, my pastor's name was Pastor Earl Jones, and he always said, "Church on Sunday is a great day to start. Your, a great way to start your week, because Sunday is the first day of the week." But you guys took a step farther. Not just here on the first day of the week. First day of the month. Good job, guys. First talk in a new series, but you came to the second service. So you almost were there, real close. First service gets the A+, you guys get just the A. All right, so, uh, but, you know, either way, uh, we're starting a new talk series called Lawbreaker, and I want to explain what that is a little bit. And I think to help lay out what Lawbreaker is going to be all about, we recapped the series that we just came out of, which was called Perspective. And we were going through the first five chapters of the book of John and uh, through it, we were talking about different perspectives that you might have or might be challenged to, to reassess uh, in different areas of life, but especially in how we see Jesus and the perspective we have on who Jesus is. And we saw in Scripture in the first five chapters uh, different people who encountered Jesus and their perspective of him. And unfortunately, the truth is, as we follow through the Gospels, what we will see is that there's a, a group of people, their perspective of Jesus, they brandished him and they labeled him a lawbreaker. They said he was guilty. They said he was guilty of breaking this law and this law and this law. And we know that that's not true. They missed out on who Jesus really was, uh, but they saw him as guilty and he was not. In fact, Jesus is completely innocent. It's the ones who accused him who are guilty. In fact, to take it a step farther, all of us have been guilty at some point. I would even say that every one of us here today is a lawbreaker. I'm glad that I could encourage you with that word. Uh, Let's go home now But you know we have all broken laws and you might say no I haven't i've never been to jail That's good. Maybe you have and i'm glad that you're here And hopefully you've turned your life around because jesus can do that Jesus can take us from the very farthest depths and and turn our life around But I do believe that every one of us has probably broken a law If you have a driver's license uh, There's a thing called the speed limit And if you say I never go even one mile over the speed limit. You are one of two things you are lying in church or you're someone I do not want to drive behind, all right? So that's, that's basically what it is. I mean, I like to fly. In fact, I was talking to my stepdad. Um, I, I had the speed to get to church today, you know? Uh, I didn't have to go as so fast as I did. I just wanted to do that, all right? I think a lot of us treat the speed limit like we treat the serving size suggestions on a box of food. It's a suggestion only, and it's a ridiculous one, all right? I'm going to do what I want to do. Do you know what the serving size is on a bag of Doritos? Ten chips. That's my first bite, all right? Like, that's, that's the palate cleanser, all right, to really get into things. But we've all broken laws. Maybe, maybe you're not a speeder. Maybe you don't drive. Have you ever jaywalked? Have you ever walked when the light's still red? Maybe you've littered. I'm sure we've all done things wrong. In fact, maybe you've break, broken a law because you didn't even know the law existed. There are some weird laws out there. Here, these are a couple laws that apply in Michigan. Did you know that in Michigan, it is against the law to putt-putt golf after 1 a.m.? I don't know why. Uh, Maybe you've done that. If so, you're a lawbreaker. All right, I hate to tell you. Also in Michigan, it is against the law to buy, this is a weird one, to buy a car on a Sunday unless it's in a city or a town that has less than 130,000 people in their population. I don't know why, But that's the law. So if you're buying a car today, get it from Detroit. All right? Just be safe. All right? Speaking of Detroit, did you know it's against the law to walk your pig unless it has a hoop thing through its nose? So if you've been doing it without the hoop, breaking the law. I'm sorry to tell you. Uh, If you're here visiting from out of like Drew, our guitar player, he's living in California in Los Angeles. It is against the law to lick a toad. Good to know. A couple thoughts I have there. If you're willing to lick a toad, you don't care that it's against the law. Um, And second, someone had to do that for it to become a law. So whether you're a speeder, a jaywalker, or a toad licker, um, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. Uh, That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus isn't. And Jesus provided a way for us to atone for our guilt. And uh, as we talk about laws, we're not going to be talking about man-made laws that were broken by Jesus today. We are going to look through this series at the laws of nature, at the laws of gravity that Jesus broke. We're going to look at different miracles that he performed, including a miracle today that is pretty well known. And what Jesus broke today in our story, in our scripture, is bread. But before we get into it, and before we start reading through the book of John, let's go ahead and let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. We are so thankful that we are here. Uh, I'm thankful for everyone who made it here today. I'm thankful for those who are watching online. I'm thankful for our worship team. I'm thankful for our guest services. I'm thankful for those who volunteered to make church happen today. I'm thankful that we can freely come, and we are not breaking any laws by coming and, and assembling together and having church. Thank you for the freedom we have here. Father, I pray that As we enter your text today, as we enter your word that that you speak to us, Um, I ask you to take over the stage, God. As we said the Lord's Prayer, your, your name is holy. I am not. God, just get me out of the way. Show off as only you can do and speak to our hearts today. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you have your John journal, we are still in the book of John, even though it is a new lesson series. Uh, So we are starting in the sixth chapter. If you don't have the John journal, you can pull out your phone, or if you have your actual Bible, that's fine. Uh, Get to chapter six, or if you don't have any of that, we will put the verses on the screen for you today. But before we start reading, we're gonna read 14 verses out of John. Before we start reading, I wanna give a little bit of context, a little bit of background to what we are reading today. Now, what we are reading is a pretty well-known story. Uh, it's where Jesus feeds a whole lot of people. The, the number that's mentioned is 5,000, but we'll see that it says 5,000 men, which means the women and the children were counted. Some people believe this as many as 20,000 people were fed by Jesus today. And so we read that. But I want to give you a little bit of of tidbits of information about it. First, other than the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about this thing happening. It's the only one. Aside from the resurrection of Jesus himself, when he came out of the tomb, this is the only one. So I think that holds some importance. Let's talk about when it took place and what we know. So we're going from John chapter 5 to John chapter 6. For us, it's the turn of a page, start of a new paragraph. But when we piece together the timeline using the different gospels and using historical context and stuff, we know that between John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, there's uh, about six months, maybe even to a year, have, have passed in between the the two chapters. And what's going on is it's the Passover festival, and Jesus and his disciples have just recently learned that John the Baptist has been killed. And so they are hurt by that. They are mourning their loss. And Jesus, not in the passage we're reading, but in one of the other Gospels, he says to his disciples, let's go find a place to rest, a quiet place. So Jesus and his disciples, their intention is to find a place to to, to be quiet, to recharge, to rest, just to be by themselves for a bit because they're hurting, right? Right? And they need this time just to to heal, to recharge a little bit. And then a crowd of people show up. And let's see what happens. Let's start reading together in John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. There's that lil, we put it everywhere, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. We say large, we'll talk about that in just a second, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down, with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And so, right away, what we see in this passage is the compassion of Jesus, the compassion he has for people, the care that he has for other people. He's told his disciples, Let's go find a place to rest, let's recharge, let's find some quiet, let's find some stillness. And get that rest that we need, but they can't because this crowd shows up and they saw him heal people. They're expecting him to do things and he sees him coming and he says, we've got to feed these people. And instead of being annoyed, he shows compassion. Instead of being agitated, he shows compassion. He sees this giant crowd of people that needs to eat. And I want you to just to take in the patience of Jesus here. Put yourself in his position. Maybe you're like me and you need to rest sometimes. Maybe you've been go, 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 and you have that, that block where it's like, I'm not going to do anything for this stretch of time. In fact, I'm just going to take a nap. You know, and you lay down to take a nap, and what happens? Somebody starts blowing up your phone. Maybe, maybe you're a parent, and you say, I'm going to take a nap. Kids, don't bother mommy. Don't bother daddy. We're just closing our eyes for a few minutes. And for kids, that means let's ask as many questions as we could possibly think of. Right? I exactly. I know Devin does it. I know he's guilty of that. His mom hasn't had a nap in 21 years. All right? Uh, maybe maybe you're like me and you say I'm just going to take a quick nap. I'm just going to take a quick nap, and and you live in a noisy house. My house has some noisy people in it. My boys are very noisy. My wife can be noisy. My daughter likes to do cartwheels everywhere on hardwood floors. It's not quiet, and sometimes I think they're having a contest to see who can be the loudest. And sometimes I'm guilty of it because I am the loudest one in the house. Uh, but. Whatever it is, maybe you've tried to have that rest and it's been disrupted. If you're like me, your response can be annoyance, can be aggravation, can be anger. And, and where do we, we put that? On the person that disrupted our rest. The person that disrupted our attempt to just have some peace and quiet. Jesus doesn't respond that way at all. And so I would ask and wonder if we are followers of Jesus, if we are called to be imitators of Jesus, can we respond better? How are we responding to those moments in life where people interrupt us with a need? How are we responding when people come to us and need our help, need our assistance, need us to fill a need, and it's inconvenient for us? Are we responding like Christ would? And on the flip side of that is is how are we taking our needs to Jesus? This crowd had no problem finding him up the mountain saying, let's go get him. And really, that should be our attitude towards Jesus, too. When we have a need, when we have anything, we take it to him. Jesus had 20,000 people interrupting his attempt for rest, and his response is, let's feed them. You are never a distraction to Jesus. That is so good to know. No matter the size of your need, whether it's big or whether it's small, these people were just hungry. In fact, we don't even know if they needed healing. We just know that they had saw him do it, so they wanted to, to see who he was. They might have just wanted to watch him for a little bit. Whatever their need was, this massive crowd arrives. And, and, and I always try to picture these crowds when, when we think of like crowds that size. And what I always go to, I'm old enough to remember David Crowder. I'm not old enough to have lived through the Beatles, but I've seen the videos of like Beatlemania when the Beatles came stateside and everywhere they went, mobs of people swarmed them. They couldn't even walk. I picture that when Jesus would arrive in towns or to modernize it, like Taylor Swift had a concert downtown this past summer and she sold out Ford Field, which is like 50, I I don't know, 80,000 seats. I don't know, but what I know is there were thousands of people who didn't even get tickets and just sat in the road because they wanted to be near it. I will say this, there are no recorded instances in history where John Lennon or Taylor Swift fed 20,000 people. If you think I'm picking on Taylor Swift, shake it off, all right? so <laughs> That's literally the only Taylor Swift song that I know. <laughs> like, I don't know any other ones. Uh, but what's important that we get here is, is in, this is a moment where Jesus could have absolutely said, you know what, now is not a good time. Jesus could have said, you know what, could you just come back a, a little bit later? We're just tired. Can you just can you just give me a minute? And in that, he cared for them, anyways. And just like he cared for them, he cares for you enough to not send you away when you take your needs to him. Jesus will never say, I'm too busy. Jesus will never say, I need rest. Jesus will never say, not right now. There is no wrong time to come to Jesus. Look at what 1 Peter chapter 5 says. It says, Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. The reason we can take everything to God is because he cares about us. We can take all of our worries, all of our cares. And that is so definitive. And what I love about that is there's no hours of operation there. There's no schedule. This past week, we were able to do a really cool thing with our student ministry. Barry and myself and my wife, we had the opportunity. We have a football coach who attends our church here. He's the JV coach of Livonia Churchill. His name's Emmanuel. Great dude. I don't know if he's here, but... Through him, we connected, and we got to feed the JV and the high school football team. We got to feed them dinner after practice one night, just a way to, to bless them and just a way to say, hey, we're a church in the area, we just want to feed you, because being fed is filling a need. And so we showed up with, uh, he said, are 60 guys, I said, is 30 large pizzas enough? He's like, yeah. It took him three minutes, tops. Like, they just devoured it. One kid just said, can I have a whole pizza? I'm like, well, you're six foot three and 280 pounds? Yes, all right. You, you will kill me if I say no. So... But here's where I freaked out a little bit. The day of, it was was this past Tuesday, I got into the office, we had our staff meeting, and the first thing I needed to do was call the pizza places. Um, You might already know this, pizza places usually don't open until about four or three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And we had to have these pizzas by six, and I had a moment of panic where I called a place, not open. Called another place, not open. Called a third place, not open. And all of a sudden, my need couldn't be filled because I couldn't find anyone who was available. Now, thankfully, we found a place, and I, uh, we talked to an owner, and he, he had it all set up for us, and we got to feed these guys, but I freaked out for a second because I had a need, and it was a pretty big need to me. I had promised these people food, and I didn't have any food to give them, and all of a sudden, the place where I would go to get that food was not available. You never have to worry that Jesus isn't available. That's so good to know that you never have to worry that if you offer up a prayer, the call is going to get disconnected. You never have to worry that Jesus is going to say, actually, could you just pause for a second? So I would ask, as we consider that, and as we find thanks in that, how available are you to others? How available are you to people? I mentioned this already, but how available are you even in your annoyance, even in your times of quiet? When people need you, are you there for them? We'll see that care that Jesus offered to them, emphasized a little bit more as we go back to the text. In verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. That's close to a year's wages, like something between like eight to nine months worth of money, all right? One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many?" So it says right there in the text that Jesus is testing the disciples. And we get two different answers, and we'll talk about both of them briefly. Philip and Andrew are being tested. And here's a phrase you might be familiar with if you're a sports fan. You might know the phrase, armchair quarterback. I'm a sports fan. I like to watch sports at home. Me and my son like to watch football every Sunday. We like to watch basketball together. And one thing that I love to do is point out how dumb they are uh, because I would do it right, all right? If I was the coach, I wouldn't have called that play. If I was the receiver, I would have caught that ball. I would have made that tackle. I would have made that shot. That's what armchair quarterbacking is. When you sit, you watch somebody else and you critique them. Sometimes I feel like I'm guilty of being an armchair disciple because I read the Bible And I see the disciples, and I'm like, these guys are dumb. I would be so good at this. If I was there, I I wouldn't doubt Jesus at all. If I was there, I would fully trust Jesus. I'm armchair discipling because here's the truth. If it was so easy for me to trust Jesus there, then why do I have issues trusting him here today sometimes? You know, it's easy to look at the disciples' mistakes. It's easy to look at the mistakes people make through Scripture and be like, I would never, except we do. All the time. You know, uh, Philip and Andrew give these answers. And you might say, well, how are they not trusting him? And here's why. Philip starts counting in his head. He starts doing math. He's like, uh, it would take like nine. We don't have the money to feed these people. We don't, we don't have the money. All right? And then Andrew's like, um, well, this kid brought food, but... That's not going to be enough. So they're both kind of assessing the situation. Jesus says, how are we going to feed them? Where can we buy some bread? And they're like, we, we can't. We can't do this, Lord. Now, to cut them some slack, 20,000 people are headed their way. That might, that might rattle you a little bit. That might shake your senses a little bit. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, can we get some bread for these people? And they're like, um, we don't even have bread for us. We don't have anything to eat, Lord. Like, there's nothing we can do. They were hungry the people were hungry, and there was no food to pass around. And we still get two different responses from them. One saying we don't have the money, one saying we don't have enough stuff. But here's the thing. Their answers were different, but their logic was the same. What they were doing wrong is both of them were looking for solutions through either finances or what they had, and they weren't looking at it through the lens of who they were with. See, they were with Jesus. So it didn't really matter what they had on hand. It didn't really matter that they didn't have enough. How often do we make the same mistake when we assess our problems in life and we assess our situations? We consider what we have in our hands. We consider what we have available to us rather than whose hands we can put it in. See, here's the truth of it is even if we have a little, when it's put in the hands of Jesus, God can do amazing things through it. God doesn't operate in our limitations. Look what the book of Isaiah says about that. It says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. I love that word imagine. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What God is saying is you can't even imagine what I can do. The biggest thought you can come up with of what God can do, nope, God can do bigger. Scripture tells us that in multiple places. We can't even fathom how much God can do because God is the God of the impossible. It's easy for us to lose sight just like Philip did, just like Andrew did, and just look at what's around us and forget who's with us. When we remember who is enough, then what we have in the hands of Jesus is more than enough. Let me say that one more time. When we remember who is enough, then what we put in the hands of Jesus is more than enough because Jesus is enough. Look at it this way. The difficulty of a task must always be measured by the capacity of the one doing the work. What that's saying is, if there's a job that needs to be done, the person who actually does the job is the person who gets to decide how difficult it was. You and I who watch, we might say that it's impossible or undoable but the person who's doing it can decide that. I'm not a handyman. I don't don't fix things. I know that's shocking to some of you. Uh, I don't repair things. I'm not good at it. I am blessed to have a stepfather named Dennis who can fix like anything. He was here first service, (laughs) like no joke, in between services. I go, hey, uh, my son, Jacob's car is sounding weird. He's like, let's go look at it. We drove down Plymouth Road and he's like, oh, yep, it's the back rear rotor. I'm like, okay, is that an easy fix? He's like, oh, yeah, simple, no problem. I'm like, okay. Here's the deal. For Dennis, whenever he fixes stuff, he's like, "No problem. Oh, that's easy." For me, I'm like, "I just, I just want to move. Like, if there's something wrong in the house, just get a new house." All right. Like, there's a lot of them. They're all over the place. There's got to be one that's working, okay? But literally, anytime Dennis comes over, he fixes stuff, and not because we like, like Dennis. Here's the list. He likes to fix things, and he's good at it. And what he will always say is, "Oh, that was easy." Yeah, you. To you, it was easy, but again, the difficulty of a task is measured by the capacity of the one doing the work. Dennis has great capacity to fix things. Jesus has no capacity. His, capacity. his capacities are limitless. Jesus can do anything he wants. What we need to remember is what is impossible for us, and there are things that are impossible for us to do on our own. It's not impossible for Jesus because he has no capacity. More than we can imagine, remember? What he can do is more than we can imagine. We try so hard sometimes to make God finite and put him in this box, and and we want to be able to label God and understand his limits, but there are no limits. There are no limits to what God can do, and yet we try to bring him down to our level on a human level, and it causes us to forget just who he is. So here's my question. When we become blind to the power of God, In our life, I would ask, where has our blindness to God caused us to forget the highness of God? Where in your life have you stopped seeing the depths of how much God can do and it's caused you to lose sight of just how great He is? You know, life can really beat us up sometimes. Maybe it's your job that just feels unwinnable, maybe it's your marriage that feels untenable. Maybe it's a parent, you're struggling raising your kids, you're like, I just don't know, I feel like everything I do is wrong. Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's something else. But we get so caught up in the difficulty of the situation sometimes that we lose sight of the fact that difficult to us is not difficult to him. And that is really, really encouraging, that something that is impossible for me is easy for God because our capacity is limited, but God has no limits. I want you to think on that as we see how Jesus responds to his disciples. Let's go back to verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Again, that's just the men. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. I want to point out the little things here. We highlighted the word grass. And that seems really insignificant, but I think it matters. In fact, I mentioned earlier that this is talked about in all four of the Gospels. In three of them, it mentions the grass. They sat in the grass. It said there was a lot of grass. One of them says that it's green grass. Maybe you've climbed a mountain before. Can I tell you something? There's not a lot of fields of grass to sit in when you're mountain climbing. When you're walking up a mountain and you want to sit, usually you got to sit in the dirt. you got to sit on the rocks. It's uncomfortable, and it's not fun to sit or rest in. But these people are sitting in grass. What Jesus is doing is he is being the shepherd that's talked about in Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He literally has them doing that here. Jesus is shepherding his sheep. Next little thing to notice. It says that he gave thanks. When he had given thanks, he distributed them. In all four of the accounts, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it mentions that he gave thanks. In three of them, says he lifted his head and gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks for one little kid's lunch. And I think that's important because sometimes we forget to thank God for the little things. Sometimes we, we only thank God when big things happen, when revelations happen, when miracles happen, when doors get opened. And how often do we lose sight of the little things? Do we give thanks for what we have? Do we give thanks for even the smallest? Sometimes we focus on what we lack. Sometimes we focus on what we need and we forget what we already have. In what areas have you stopped being thankful in your life? Maybe you need to change your attitude to an attitude of gratitude. God does big things with little things. What we see here is that Jesus is about to feed thousands of people with one meal. I picture it like a happy meal, right? It's a kid's meal. That's all it is. Probably not even a full-size meal. And he feeds thousands of people because God does big things with little things. He shatters pint-sized expectations. And it's not just here in John 6. It's all throughout Scripture. He took a man named Gideon who wasn't even a warrior, and he had him assemble an army of 300 people, and they defeated an army of thousands. He took a kid named David and gave him a couple rocks, and he took out a giant. He came and he was born in a small town called Bethlehem. He was born like in a barn, basically. He does big things with little things that don't seem to matter to most people. It's easy to diminish ourselves by saying, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. I have no real abilities or skills. Or here's what I don't have, or here's what I need, and here's what I have less of than everyone else. But little in the hands of God produces big results. Even if you have little to offer to God, if you offer it to him. He can and will do big things. As we continue in verse 12, it says, When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had, who had eaten. Uh, when I was studying this message, I was talking to Maya. Maya's speaking this message over at our Lion Campus. And he said, like, What stuck out to you? And I said, This part did. When they had eaten their fill. So we knew that Jesus fed them. But when it says they ate their fill, It just reminds me of one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. We'll get there eventually. But it's John chapter 10, verse 10. And Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is a God who wants to give us abundance in life. And this is not me saying Jesus wants to make you rich and famous and powerful and give you all the toys and all the stuff. Because that stuff doesn't really matter to him. When he talks about abundance, he wants you filled to the brim with love and joy and peace and hope in him. And what I love about that is when we go back and read, it says, They ate to their fill. These people ate until they were full. They were stuffed. They had to push the food away. Like, oh, that's enough. In fact, they had to gather up the leftovers. There was so much food that everyone ate as much as they wanted, and there was stuff left over. Jesus is a God of abundance. What I love about it is how many bastards were left over? Twelve. The 12 disciples who didn't get to eat, guess what? There's food for them too. They ate their fill as well. I love that. And this miracle of bread and fish, it's painting this picture for something much bigger. It's showing us exactly who Jesus is. It's representing who Jesus is and who he came to be, not just for those in that moment, but for us here today and for those who will live generations beyond us. But for all people here, even us today, we can understand the context of bread, right? Bread fills you up, doesn't it? Go to the Outback. Go to Texas Roadhouse. All you need is rolls. You're good. You see, I, I, go I go to Texas Roadhouse. I want a steak. By the time it comes, I've eaten a dozen bread rolls. I'm like, I'm full. I can't do it anymore. I also have a problem with gluttony, a little bit, all right? But it fills you. You know what it's like when you eat too much bread. You're like, oh, I am so Full. You know what Jesus called himself later in the chapter? I am the bread of life. Because I will fill you, I will sustain you, I will give you sustenance. Anyone who comes to me will never hunger. And he's like, listen, I can give you actual bread. Hey, here, eat some bread. And this will fill you for now, but you're going to need to eat tomorrow. You're going to need to eat again. But when you follow me, your needs will be met eternally. When he talks about abundant life, he's not just talking about this side of heaven, but even beyond. When we get there, we're going to see true abundance and overflowing everything with Jesus. What he is saying with the bread, when he breaks the bread, when he calls us to the bread of life, he is saying, I am sufficient. I am enough for you. And I wonder how many of us struggle with that. Some of us struggle with thinking that Jesus is enough. We think we need Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus and. Jesus says, all you need is me. I am enough. I love the consistency of God too. This isn't the only time he uses bread. If we go back to the Old Testament, right? When the people of Israel were in the wilderness and they needed something to, to, be, to be filled, what did God give them? Manna. He gave them bread. What I love about the consistency, excuse me, of God again is what did he do? He created it from nothing. Where did he get all this food that he fed thousands of people with? He just brought it, it just came out of nowhere. When we go all the way back to creation, how did he create the earth? It came out of nothing. God can take nothing and create something. So imagine what he can do with what you have to offer him. And what I love about it too is is, is even through stories like this, we see the Old Testament being fulfilled. See, the Old Testament just lays the foundation for Jesus. Let's go to verse 14. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, that statement is powerful on its own, that these people saw him do this, and they believed that he was the prophet. But what it does is it confirms what was written in Deuteronomy, chapter 18, when it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This was written 1,500 years before Jesus ever fed these people. And 1,500 years later, they say, This man is the prophet that was talked about. He knew in the beginning, he knew as he was serving bread, he knew as the prophets were telling, he knew, he knew as he was going to the cross what he was doing. Jesus always knew, and what God is doing, in case you're wondering, is he is making a way for you. He is making a way for you to come to him. God is making himself available to you. Now, some of you, you've had this life, and if we're being honest, your life has been anything but fulfilling. Your life is empty. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's your life. But some of us know pain and we know heartache and we know emptiness. Every decision you've made just ended up a total mess and fulfillment and abundance. It sounds like something that only comes true in fairy tales. You say, I've never seen that. Can I tell you something? Maybe you've been looking in the wrong places. When you start looking for those things in Jesus, what you will find is that He is who He says He is. Jesus is true to his word. The incredible part about all this is that God did something incredible who threw his son in this miracle of feeding people so that people would know who he is. People would know that he's much bigger than we imagine. He's much more powerful than he imagined. He's much more loving than we could ever imagine. I love that Jesus was tired and ready to sleep, and he fed them anyways. You know, as we talk about Jesus being accused of being a lawbreaker, the truth is what Jesus came was not to break the law, he came to break sin. Jesus is the sin breaker. And so as he broke that bread and fed those people and they called him a prophet, he went on and he went on and he continued to to bless and heal and perform miracles until he was arrested, he was put on the cross, and he knew what he was doing and he was broken for us. But, he went on that cross, it was sin that was truly broken. When he came out of that tomb, it was sin that was truly broken. Jesus broke the chains of sin. Jesus broke the power of sin. Jesus broke the hold of sin that it may have on you so that we could have a relationship with him. The song we sang, what he's done, what he did was he broke down everything, every barrier, every separating point between you and him so that we could come If you're here today and you've never made the decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I would urge you to make that decision today. In fact, I'll lead you in a prayer so you can do that. You say, it's just a prayer? Yeah, Jesus did all the work. He's the one that broke everything. He's the one that broke all the sin. He's the one that that, that conquered it all. All we have to do is trust in him. For those of us who have already made that statement, already made him the Lord of our life, are we living like him? Are we trusting him with little? And are we giving thanks in what we have? Let's close with a word of prayer. And if you're here today, and you say, you know what, I, I, I haven't made Jesus Christ my Savior. I haven't, I haven't put my trust and my faith in Jesus. It's Again, it's as simple as a prayer, and I'll lead you through it right now. You can say, Lord, I offer my life to you. I believe that you, Jesus, are God's Son, and that you died for me. I also believe that you did not stay dead, that you rose again. I lower my pride, and I offer my life to you. Thank you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you afterwards. And as we continue to pray, Father, may we always be thankful for what we have. May we see you in the little things. May we trust you with the little things. May we see things through your lens. For those of us who are struggling to trust, renew our trust. Fill us to the brim. Give us abundance, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray.